Hello, this is Ruslan Malinovsky. Hello, this is Roman Yeremchuk. Hello, I'm Sergey Rebro. And you're listening to Ukraine Post Football. Welcome to one year anniversary podcast of Ukraine Plus Football Show. My name is Ray. I'm here in Kiev. Country at war, football in Europe. U- Ukrainian national team just finished Nations League and World Cup qualifiers, all with different outcomes. We're going to touch on that as well as the future of Ukrainian football in these challenging times. I'm joined by my co-hosts. Andrew Toros from Zori Londonsk and Adam from Ukrafoot24. Adam, over to you. Uh, thanks, Ray. It's good to be back as always. It's been a crazy start to June with endless football. I mean, Andrew, you've been whizzing around all over the place. How's it been the last few weeks from your perspective? Well, yes, it's been very full on, to say the least. The last two weeks have finally come to an end. Um, I'm back from Wodz uh, in Poland, where Ukraine played out their final two uh, Nations League matches of the 21-22 season. And the summer has started officially for Ukraine national team and the players that are within it. <laughs> to, to begin with, let's go back all the way to a few weeks ago. Obviously, our last podcast was about Scotland, previewing that. Um, we had high hopes. And we weren't let down in that respect. I was there in Hamden. What an occasion, to say the least. Completely electric atmosphere from the Ukraine fans that were there in the stadium at Hamden. And a performance to match from uh, Zbirna. Um, It was the Zinchenko show. He was playing everyone off the park. Uh, We saw Yarmolenko shine. Malinovsky was playing well. Even Yaremchuk scored. And Dovbik too. It, it was it was just a five star performance, and I think everyone had their hopes up after that one. That if we can do this to Scotland, <laughs> hopefully we can do it against Wales too. And sadly, it was a beautiful day in Scotland, but in Wales it was slightly the opposite. Completely raining, grey, rather miserable. Um, smaller amount of fans from the Ukraine side and a much more tighter stadium, obviously, at the Cardiff City. Sadly, we all know the result of that. I don't think we'll go too much into the performance of, um, of, of, the, of the team because I think we've seen that a million times over now and read about it too. But just the scenes at full time, you know, Yarmolenko in tears, knowing that, obviously not fully down to him, but a lot of the performance due to, obviously, his own goal, the penalty not being given, heaps of chances not taken, and obviously um, an amazing showing from Wayne Hennessy in the Wales goal. It was it was a feeling of hopelessness, from hope uh, in Scotland to hopelessness at full time in Wales, where, you know, the final 10 minutes, you just thought, this isn't going to be Ukraine's day. And the football gods weren't with everyone. Um, and, yeah... 
emotional. I think everyone was rather respectful. It's like, that's how it goes. But as I was speaking to someone after the game who's been to the majority of the playoff losses and lived through all of them, obviously, over the past three decades that Ukraine have been through in the World Cups, he said that that was probably the most bitter uh, to take, a very difficult one because of how Ukraine played, obviously dominated Wales for the most part. Wales had their chances, of course, but just just the way we lost it was so hard. And then obviously after that, obviously the biggest match was lost. Ukraine weren't going to the World Cup and then you still had to get yourself up for another three Nations League matches. And I mean, in any other circumstance, I think Ukraine would love to be in the Nations League, you know, in terms of getting getting wins against big teams, playing against the sides that they would. Similarly, it was a bit of um, a non-righteousness that Ukraine are in Group B as it is because of how they got relegated from Group A a couple of years ago due to that infamous Luzerne doctor who forced Ukraine to forfeit the match and obviously Cass throughout the appeal. Um, Switzerland haven't had the best start in their Nations League campaign, luckily. Uh, Ukraine have had a much better one, uh, winning in, uh, in Dublin. Uh, with a second string side, quite a difficult game to watch in, in, all, in, in all honesty. Um, a strange atmosphere uh, in the Ukraine away and a lot of uh, refugees there with kids and children. I think a lot of people were visiting their first ever match. So I think it took a while for everyone to get going, but towards the end, it, were, it was quite a good one. And then Wodz um, in Poland, where Alexander Petrakov returned at his behest saying listen this place is a very fortuitous lucky place for me when I was here in uh, the 2019 when Ukraine won the World Cup we won two matches here in the quarterfinals I think against Colombia and then in the final against South Korea Ukraine playing in a different stadium of course in an 18,000 seater uh, versus Armenia there were 15,000 fans in the stadium about 500 or so Armenians and the rest Ukrainians and a few Poles it felt like Arena Lviv on a minimum, or how they say in Ukrainian, Lviv Arena on a minimalka. It was great. It was electric. Uh, all the fans were singing, doing all the chants. It, it was brilliant um, on a Saturday afternoon. And Ukraine got the good win after a difficult first half, pulled out the bag in the second, um, and some lovely goals there going on too. And then the finally, it all concluded against the Republic of Ireland once again in Wodz. Uh, after the first time where Republic of Ireland really didn't show up at all, I think a lot of people were expecting a bit more from Ukraine, even though uh, they, Ireland beat Scotland just a few days before, to everyone's surprise as well. But it seemed like the energy had very much zapped out of uh, this has been an aside after, you know, over a month and a half of being together. I think they probably psychologically were one foot on the beach or whether they're going back to Kiev, whoever's going there, whoever's going back to their home countries where they play their domestic football and all that kind of stuff. Some people were probably de-energized from a, um, a flu that was going around the camp after the cold and windy rain of uh, Wales. And in general, it ended in a one-all. You could probably say a fair result on the night. And yeah, now now we've got to wait. We've got to wait a long time until the end of September for the next Zbirna matches. But overall, you could say 
I'd have rather Ukraine lost four, uh, three of those, all three of those Nations League matches and won the big one to make it to the World Cup. But hey-ho, Vegas can't be choosers. This is the path that we've taken and uh, rightfully so. Ukraine's boycotting Qatar for the human rights issues. So good on them. Well done, well done. I mean, Andrew, you, you're in, you've been in quite a privileged position almost over the last few weeks, uh, being in and around the squad and at the press conferences. What's been the mood amongst the players as, as the, the windows sort of progressed and the general sort of vibe between them? I think it was a very much... Um, it was an emotionally charged one going into the Scotland match. Obviously, we saw like Zinchenko break down in tears. I think a lot of people were sort of holding a lot of stuff in. And then after that Scotland match where they kept it all in during the game, they played really well. They let it all out at the final whistle. We saw all the players drop to their knees and all that kind of stuff. I think they sort of got it out of their system per se, you know, from um, from a footballing perspective. Obviously, in mentally and everything else going on with the war is still there. But I think from a purely sort of on-the-pitch perspective, that was sort of the watershed moment for them in terms of that was the difficult part. They've played the first 90 minutes. They've got the win. Let's carry on going. And I think that spurred them on, really. OK, they lost against Wales, but I think through the way that they played, there was still sort of a defiance. Um, they were the better side on the day. <laughs> Misfortune with the penalty, etc. And I think Ukraine grew in confidence over the, over the course of the window. They very, seemed very together. Um, even towards the end, there were... Petrikov, I feel, seemed to become less and less sort of um, uptight as he usually is quite um, quite stern he was making uh, a, he was a bit more light-hearted as it as it concluded especially prior to the island match the final island match and at the end of the island match I think um, sort of he finally got over the the difficult terms of probably the Wales defeat and I think even when he is quite serious in his press conferences he's trying to be as professional as possible not give much away um, that kind of stuff and then he can sort of um, release everything else once it's all over and I'm sure that he's just very looking forward to returning to Kiev um, which he has obviously missed for the past month and a half almost two months and on top of that I guess the players too um, they were rather professional, strong um, in, in all of the games. We saw Yermolenko take a particular tough time in that Wales game. I think that's probably the reason that he didn't feature against uh, Republic of Ireland in Dublin. And then obviously he got ill before the Armenia game as well, just because of all of it together psychologically. Um, he, he managed to recover, of course, uh, played quite well against Republic of Ireland in Lodge. And I think, yeah, there's a, there's a real sense of um, unitedness, unity. Um, and the fact that I feel that the players are relishing to be back together again um, in a few months' time too. To sort of see the end of the year on a high and to guarantee hopefully a second seed in um, the Euro qualifying draw 
which will happen in October. So as long as Ukraine win this group, they will be um, in that second pot and avoid hopefully some big teams that won't make it into pot one. Definitely so, definitely so. I mean, obviously for, for me in Luxembourg, Andrew, whichever country tends to wake up in, um, we see a lot of the international press and after the Scotland game in particular, Ukraine deservedly were given a lot of plaudits for the exceptional performance at Hamden. What's been the reaction back in Ukraine, Ray, towards the performances and the sort of generally about the national team over the last few weeks? Uh, in general, the playoffs were quite... Um quite significant in terms of what we've seen already, even 25 years ago in World Cup uh, 98 qualifiers. Uh, it was painful back then, but I mean, I don't remember that, but in history, it's, all, it's, it's always remembered by um, either the referee's choices like we had in, with Wales again, or with uh, the atrocious goals, like with Slovenia in 99. Well, we, well all Ukrainian fans remember that. But also, uh, this um, particular race from the press uh, we got uh, about this team this year, um, it's something we haven't seen ever, right? So it's, um, it's definitely helped the team unite and the people to gather around uh, the support, the idea of support of the nation. Um, in terms of uh, the greatest teams, in history of uh, in 30 years of Ukrainian independence in football, well, I I, I still I'm still going to stick with uh, 2006 World Cup team. Not only because they qualified from the first place in their group, uh, but uh, because of uh, the um, the state of the players back then, uh, they were ripe. If I can say that to, about an athlete, most of them were ready, and most of them uh, matched few generations in themselves. They were brought up in uh, the old country, then they grew up as uh, personalities in Ukraine, and now that was their time. With this case, if we compare it with um, uh, Ukraine in 2022, that's for sure a time to rise for the youngsters and time to prove uh, themselves for the um, Sbirna veterans, because they all changed their behavior, they all changed their lifestyle, so to speak. They all changed their uh, the way they behave and the way they um, see. They look at life uh, in general and look uh, at how they approach um, what they love, and that's why it makes me thinking that um, it might help this Birna, the national team, but it might also backfire because with Wales we saw that. Some of our players can play football and they know it. Just like Andrew pointed out, Zinchenko, um, he was good at his position in the central of the park. The uh, same was Yermolenko after he was moved there from the wing posi winger position. But in some ways, uh, it kind of felt repetitive because we, keep, we kept playing and uh, we kept crossing. We didn't control much of the ball. Uh, it was something in between. Uh, Shevchenko and Petrakov style of football and it just seemed for a moment that our best players they just skill skillful enough to play without a coach you know it's it seemed like they don't ha they don't have a coach they don't need one they play in English Premier League they are as as one of the Ukrainian journalists said in his show the other day uh, Yermolenko is a coach for this team 
so he cannot be replaced. And I totally disagree with that because once again, if we uh, draw the parallels between the old teams of Ukrainian national, uh, we have we had Shevchenko, and after that we had Konoplyanka and Yermolenko as wingers. We have both of them. That was the style of play uh, everyone played back then, and now it's going away. It's fading away. And what Petrakov did after the qualifiers with Ireland and Armenia, he actually remembers that he has his own style of football, that he's a world champion, and he had a chance to put his youngsters, his people, his men, his crew. And he did that. And remember him after the Ireland, the second Ireland game, the last game uh, for now? I've never seen him that calm. It seems like he survived a cathartic moment, you know, if, if, you, if I could say that. Because uh, he played his uh, new tactics with four in the back, but he had a chance to, he felt like now he can play by his own rules and he won't be shushed by anyone from the Federation after, you remember Malinovsky incident? He changed after that as well. And that's for him, that's the line he, um, he crosses all, all over and over again. And that's why I hope that the script, the concept of Petrocom as a national team manager will pan out finally as a someone who could bring the new generation in because he well, let's be honest that's that's his um that's what that's what he is about he's not going to change history anymore all he has to do is adapt and wait for his chance and he got it once with ireland and we'll be looking for more and that's the intrigue about it and if, to sum up i would like to point out that um I'm against the veterans and uh, the um, coaches on the pitch, right? I'm not a fan of Yermolenko. I'm not a fan of Malinovsky or Zinchenko. Uh, I'm, I, might be, I might be saying a blasphemy now, but uh, I have a feeling that in dressing room, they behave slightly more than they should. Ah, strong words there, strong words there. It's funny you mentioned Malinovsky because... Uh... For me, just personal opinion, his performances dur during this window were some of the strongest, especially in the Nas Nations League games, the last couple, were some of the best I've seen from him for the national team in a really long time, a really long time. But as you said, great to see the, great to see the youth coming through. And uh, as yeah, Andrew, you mentioned the Dublin game was a bit of a, a damp squib, but am I right? It was the youngest team in history to represent the national team with four or five of the players making their debut in that match. Which... Yeah, I think they were all, um, it was about 24 was the average age, official in like an official competitive game. So you could, because they're not friendlies anymore, so... Yeah, uh, I think that was the case. And, you know, a lot of the players did make their senior uh, competitive debuts, even Andre Lunin, who was like on his seventh or eighth cap. Um, he was getting his first ever um, official official game. So, yeah, it, it was good stuff overall. Um, I kind of disagree with Ray because I think that Zinchenko, obviously, without him, uh, without Malinovsky, and even with, without Yermolenko in, in these games, it would be difficult to have beaten beaten the sides that we have in the sort of circumstances. I understand what he's saying in terms of the influence of the players on the pitch and 
how it all became a bit one-dimensional against Wales towards the end of the game. But I think that's maybe less down to them. I think it's more down to the fact that uh, Petrikov may have been out of ideas um, in the Wales game in particular, you know, lacking possibly Bujalski, who he sort of kicked out of the team uh, just before the games. And maybe you could say that even someone like Besiedin um, could have come up Trump's um, instead of the likes of Sakan. Sorry, um, I have to who... jump in here, Andrew. And what <laughs> would Besiedin do? Well, how would he help? He would uh, break another knee for Ukraine? But that's the kind of thing that he that's the kind of thing that he does. His sacrifice is what okay. brings Ukraine. I mean, right? If you take Sikan, Sikan is kinda of, kinda of reminds me of Fernando Torres. I don't know why. He's he was lucky for a second with Kazakhstan and now he's being pushed pushed back all the time. And it, and he's playing in Bundesliga, not the best team, of course, Hansa, but uh, second Bundesliga. But still he seems like an a versatile striker rather than Besiedin, who is pretty one-sided and Dobek who for now is only a target man but not a false nine or any other functions which striker could have no, no I understand that but I would say that the way that Petrikov is playing at the moment especially when he's playing with one central striker it seems that Dobek is probably the best suited he just seems to not be in the best form um, because of, I don't know, obviously not playing much football over the past six months. Maybe he's not got the eye for goal that he has done. But yeah, for me, for, me, for example, I don't know. Sikhan just doesn't seem to work in the system that Petrikov wants to play in right now. And like Besedin, I think, would be more suited to that. Obviously not as a starter, but maybe coming off the bench because we've seen him do things for Zbirna in the past where he is able to get those goals in the final minutes somehow out of nothing. So it, it'll be interesting to see. In September, um, Petrikov said that he's not bringing in any new players um, because you have to get visas, etc. So maybe he will, you know, depending on how people start the seasons. But I mean, like, who, who would that be? I, I can't really think of anyone else that could potentially be of any, of any new sort of um, support other than bringing back the likes of Besiedin or Bujalski, but it seems that because of how he didn't include them in the final squad anyway, he probably isn't counting on them for the near future as it is. Just because I see that Bujalski would have been a perfect player to bring on against Wales to try and find those spaces and gaps that Ukraine were desperately needing um, in those final 20 minutes or so, which is the kind of thing that Bujalski... Which is the kind of thing that Bielski is perfect to do at doing, and and against Ireland as well. How he about would Harmash, have, Andrew? Yeah, but Harmash, he's he's he doesn't really do anything for Dynamo Kiev either. On the most part, yeah, he scores the odd goal, but he's very hit and miss. At least Bielski is consistent. He plays instead of <laughs> I would doesn't say he, so. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You may have to give this one up. You may have to give this one up, guys. Are we clear on what Petrikov is playing, actually? What's his system? Because I had a controversy in my speech five minutes ago, whether he, he's playing youngsters with three in the back or four in the back with classical veterans. What is his system, actually? I don't, I, I don't I, think I, he quite knows at the moment. Well, possibly, but I feel that he is leaning towards four at the back at the most part. And then whoever is central defensive midfielder likes to slot in slightly when Ukraine are going on the attack or something. 
like I saw it with Sidorczuk a lot in um, the Republic of Ireland game in uh, Poland, where he was dropping back a lot just for the passing and passing out the back kind of thing. But um, yeah, I think in general, he's probably going to be going for the four. Zabarny and Matvienko, in my opinion, very much the strongest centre-back partnership Ukraine have at the moment. Maybe when Popov starts playing more consistently out of the injuries that he keeps on having, he can slot in there maybe instead of Matvienko or something like that. But for the time being, um, I wouldn't in particular change that. And from this window, I've not seen too many issues from that perspective. The only problem is, is that probably the fullbacks, especially Karavayev, he probably leaves more to be desired defensively, but is so good going forward that it would be a mistake to not include him on the pitch, especially if you're going to be playing the likes of Yarmolenko, who I think will probably stay until at least Euro 2024. Yeah, make it um, 2028, my... man. Make it 2028. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think he'll stay until at least Euro 2024, in my opinion. Um, and you need that kind of pace that Karavayev will bring on the overlap that Yeremolenko lacks to help out there. And Sahankov, yes, he had his, probably his best spout of games I've seen him play in probably over a year and a half for Zbirna. He was very effective. He played quite well against Scotland. Um, obviously got the goal against Ireland, which was lucky, but still he changed the game from that perspective. But still, there is something that leaves to be desired from him. And he doesn't have the pace to sort of go down the wings and try and beat men. It is exactly. a bit difficult for him. So I don't know. He, it, he's Ukraine lack another Mudrik on the right-hand side, to say, to say the least. Jump in here. Sure. Because for me, Mudrik was, I mean, apart from the Scotland game when everyone expelled, he was one of the biggest disappointments for me over the last week in particular. He doesn't look ready. There was a... a there was a fantastic heat map from the Armenia game in particular, where he seemed to stand on Zinchenko's feet the entire match because he didn't know where to go. As much as I like Mudrik, he doesn't look ready yet to build for that left winger slot. He's okay in fits and starts, but when, when he started the games, he looked lost. I'm going to be... You guys may disagree with me here. I also felt Dovbik, when he started the games, he looked lost at the moment. He may grow into a centre-forward over the next few years that can, that can start games, but that the youngsters, especially going forward still, they don't look ready to take you know, the scruff of the neck and lead Ukraine into the next qualifying cycle. So I'm sorry, Ray. Yaramalenko, <laughs> he stays for me, definitely. Um, just be, for the experience, Yaramachuk as well. I know he didn't, you know, his goals scoring is letting him down at the moment, but he seems to take the game, especially in those early stages. He has a physical presence that dominates up front. The defenders know he's there. They're always in for a tough time because he's always challenging for everything. Dovbik doesn't look like he's got that physical presence at the top level yet to really give the central defence a tough time early on in matches. Coming on later, no it questions. It doesn't seem like 
It doesn't, sorry guys, it doesn't seem like that we have uh, a solution for left uh, winger as well as right wing back, right? So we, we have kind of arrived there. But for me, it seems like he doesn't, he, it seemed like uh, most frequently that he doesn't know what to do with the ball. And remember the goal against Armenia, the ball bounced back from someone, I don't know, and he just slotted it in and he scored. And it felt like he, you know, dropped all the burden of these Ukrainian football academies where they say, pass the ball, what are you doing? And he sort of like accidentally hit the ball into the net and he scored and it was a huge relief for him. So for me, it doesn't seem like he knows what to do with the ball. Same with Tsihanko, remember how many moments he had with Wales? And it seems like Tsihanko just doesn't have it in him to, you know, to jostle with players, simply. He doesn't beat man, you're right, Andrew. And neither he applies any of his physicality, unlike Shaparenko. Remember how he was uh, against all, all of the opponents. He was supercharged. And also, if we coming back to Mudrik, yeah, the guy just seems to run all across the pitch, but he lacks the last pass. I wouldn't go hard on him because he's the future, obviously, and he just needs a proper treatment from the coach in club football. You've spoken quite passionately, I've seen across the media, about the left side, especially Mikolenko and Zinchenko. Were they the standout players for you? Yeah, over the past few games, for sure. I think Zinchenko showed that if he didn't play for Man City or probably Liverpool, we could play in centre-mid for any other Premier League side rather comfortably and probably dominate there. But I would say probably more on the left-hand side because he was shifted out in a few of the games on the right and he sort of lacks the... Um, he is two-footed, but it's, he just doesn't seem so comfortable on the other side. Um, but yeah, he, he especially in the Scotland game, you saw he, how he had so much time on the ball and so much space that he was just able to dictate play and everything, basically. He was all over the place in terms of getting tackles in, starting moves... And he really impressed. And then on top of that, McCollumcourt, he was probably the most consistent player in all of the games. He, even when he came on against Armenia, when he was given a little rest, he scored um, rather fortunately. But still, he, he looks the real deal from... Uh, and I feel that his time in the Premier League, obviously just this short six months, has really built him as a player and as a defender in particular. So... Um, he's going to be great going, you know, in the in the years coming forward as well. And you know, on top of that, um, I would say that, like you said before, Adam Malinovsky really impressed. But there's a reason for that because it's like the first stint in the national team where under Petrakov, for example, and over the sort of maybe the last year and a half, where he hasn't been playing with an injury. He's been playing in his actual position, either you know, right centre mid or slightly attacking midfielder. So he's been able to do the bits that he is good at, you know, trying to get the passes in, trying to dic dictate a bit of play, trying to get a few long shots away. Um, and like the goal we saw against Armenia, I just feel that maybe he was playing slightly more reserved against the likes of um, Wales, where he didn't get as many shots away or that kind of thing. Ukraine were trying to pass it into the back of the net. And obviously that didn't work out with the amount of players that Wales had behind the ball. But yeah, I mean, we can discuss this until sort of the cows come home. But I feel that obviously it's not going to change anything. And just hopefully going forward, Petrikov has learned quite a lot about his squad and how um, Ukraine will be able to adapt with that going forward, especially with this old guard slightly being phased out. You could see obviously Stepanenko injured again. Sidorchuk coming in. 
But Sidorchuk is obviously still not the solution to central defensive midfielder. He was rather average slash unconvincing for me in the Nations League games. Um, when he came on against Wales as well, he wasn't as effective as you wanted him to be. Just there's no replacement for Stepanenko yet. I just hope that maybe we can see a bit more of Ignatenko coming up here, coming up in the future. Mr. Redcard, uh, as they call him in France. Oh yes, oh yes. I, that that position for me is is the biggest concern, most definitely. Who replaces Stepanenko? Because Sidorchuk is just sort of a placeholder, isn't he, at the moment? But hey, moving on, we've got the Nations League coming up in September. Um, what else are we hoping for from Zabina? Obviously, there's no World, World Cup now to look forward to, but. Any other expectations from the team for the remainder of this year? There's been some potential friendlies being bounded about. What would you like to see, Ray? Well, as I said, I like to see uh, the um, coach making the decisions. You know, not just hand, hand, handing it over to the skillful players like he did. Um, maybe because of the lack of ideas, uh, after all, but. Uh, I think that uh, it's rather a um, it's a it's a medal it's a flip side of the medal you know it's either you trust your stars or you go with your gut so that has to be a balance and yes I would like to see more of Ignatenko and Pichalonok whom we didn't mention and uh, probably Sikanen up front uh, well this guy has to has to lighten up and has to set the world on fire at some point I mean I trust him. Um, in terms of uh, goalkeeper position, should we see Lunin as number one? That's another intrigue. Or, yeah, we might stick with Bushin, but it, that's all um, uh, leading up to uh, the Ukraine Premier League and uh, EuroLeaks for Dynamo. And uh, in terms of the defense, uh, we should stick with what we have now. It seems like the, the solutions are all there. We only lost once, so we're good to go. And um, that should be a bright future ahead of us. I'm pretty sure. Definitely so. Definitely so. I mean, Andrew, from your opinion, which players perhaps have pushed themselves into potential transfers during this summer window? Well, I guess we can probably talk about the ones that have already been rumoured over the past few weeks after performances or something else. May as well start with Dolvbik because we heard straight after, I think, the Wales match that Nottingham Forest are in for him. Apparently that's been confirmed by the player's agent that there have been some sort of talks. And possibly you could see that him being quite ready for maybe the Premier League. You know, like I mentioned, and like you mentioned too, he might not be in his perfect form and he's still a bit raw. But as we've seen with McCollumcourt, playing in the Premier League can only improve you on the most part. So hopefully um, we could see something going on there. Even if he's not the first choice striker there, he can maybe get get back into the groove of things because I think that's what he needs. He needs to start playing club football a bit more regularly, getting more time on the ball, getting, um, getting a bit more physical um, as he likes to do. And then hopefully with a player that, especially him, he can come for the ball playing with his back to the goal, but also he's quite good playing on the front and, you know, playing on the counter. So with 
Nottingham Forest coming up, I'm sure that they will be playing um, a bit of counter-attacking football, especially against some of the bigger sides. So it will be interesting to see. Uh, there's also been the question of Zinchenko. Is he going to be moving? Uh, do Man City want to sell him? Because they're trying to look at bringing in uh, the Brighton left-back, Cucurella, uh, I think. And that would obviously create problems for Zinchenko's playing time, as it is. But the question is, is would he move to somewhere like uh, West Ham, Arsenal, Newcastle? Because in the grand scheme of things, you know, they aren't going to be challenging for trophies. Well, Newcastle might be, uh, possibly, but at least for the time being, I don't see Arsenal being too well. And Zinchko is of that sort of winning mentality, or he's been so used to it over the past, you know, however many years that he's been playing in at Man City. I think it would find it very difficult for the sort of um, combustion that Arsenal are so prone to um, over the past few years, you know, where they just completely where it's going to be difficult for him to play against with certain players such as Xhaka who's very rash and all that kind of stuff so I don't know I don't know whether he'll move but it'll be interesting to keep an eye on that uh, Tankov we've obviously been hearing rumours that some clubs in Bundesliga uh, Syria, Atalanta are interested in him I've been told that apparently that's not very true and obviously the main focus for him is to play in the Premier League However, there's no actual concrete interest or any new interest possibly from any Premier League sides. So we'll be waiting to see whether Pep Guardiola's brother, who works for SEG Agency, will be able to sort something out for him this campaign. I think the actual performance that he put in over the past few weeks will have helped him. And it's certainly one of those where he does need to move now to maybe get some sort of different coaching and maybe help him in what he's lacking, where he finds it difficult to beat men and all that kind of thing. But obviously, scoring goals and um, creating stuff he isn't too difficult for him. I just feel that he needs to improve in a certain few other positions. Um, and of course, the aforementioned Mudrik. Um, he is, I think, probably still being touted most favourably to Bayer Leverkusen. I think a lot of people think that he would suit quite well there, especially with um, their main left winger, left mid, uh, Diaby, moving on soon. At his age, he just needs a bit of good coaching to sort of help him move from the Raheem Sterling of old, where he was playing at Liverpool, where he was, you know, great at um, dribbling, great at, you know, creating a few things, but just in the final third with the final pass, with the finish, he just wasn't able to do anything. So maybe it might come down to Pep ever taking him on. Who knows if that will ever happen. But he needs someone to sort of uh, mould him into the into the end product. To see him in Leverkusen personally, uh, that's one for me. Just And just finally, before we move on from the transfers, worth mentioning that Dnipro 1's Yehor Yarmoluk is very, very close to signing for Brentford in the Premier League. He's going to go into the B team if he does sign. And he should be okay for a visa because of the UK-Ukraine uh, refugee scheme, which allows three years work permit, that kind of thing. Will be interesting. Uh, I think the rumoured fee is around £1.5 million um, for him. And Brentford have been very much interested in him for a while now. So it sort of goes with their record of trying to scout young talent. Um, Dnipro 1 evidently with the current situation with the war etc we'll have to let him go 
and hopefully we'll see him get into the Premier League side, maybe play a bit of EFL Cup action if he's going to be in that B team for them for the time being, aged only 18. So it will be interesting to follow that one, uh, especially once it's confirmed. Moving on, uh, just a quick roundup of business elsewhere before we finish the episode today. Um, what's the latest? When, when is the UPL starting? There's been a bit of news about that, isn't there, Andrew? Yeah, so there is generally been mooted around that the UPL is hoping to return on the 20th of August. Where it will be is a different question. There has still been talk of uh, clubs playing in Kyiv, clubs playing in Western Ukraine, and some clubs hoping just to play their matches abroad uh, in Poland, for example, such as Shakhtar, who are pushing for that um, so that they can maybe attract some foreigners to play for them on a permanent basis. How that all is all going to turn out, I think we'll find out in the coming weeks. So obviously stay tuned to the podcast and our social medias to to find out about that. Um, other sort of transfers, nothing too major. I think Yarbolanko will find out what club he's going to in the coming weeks. Hopefully it'll be somewhere that we'll be seeing or be able to watch him regularly rather than the likes of um, the Middle East or, or somewhere like that. Um, We've also seen the likes of uh, some Mariupol players already moving on or Shakhtar Donetsk-owned players. So uh, Alexander Drambayev recently joined um, Zulta Waragem in uh, Belgium. And the Brazil stars seem to be on their way out of Shakhtar. So David Neres, he's going to be moving to Benfica in the coming days. By the time you're listening, he may have already signed. Um, Tete wants to be moving on I think Leon are favourites for him but they don't want to pay 20 million so we'll see how that goes and Dodo um, is being very close to Fiorentina who have offered 12 million for him but Shakhtar want 15 so we'll, we'll see what happens from that perspective Just to add uh, to that Andrew uh, there is a uh, playoff stage and the relegation battle for UPL and the first league, so it's all in place. There was some controversy going on, but for next season, even though Desna and Mariupol have their uh, places, have this, the Premier League spots uh, saved up for them, so they are booked for the next season, hoping for uh, their return. Uh, we're still going to have the relegation battle and playoffs for the places in the elite division, so that's a good thing. It certainly is, right? Certainly is. And we've had European draws this week as well. Two very difficult draws, it has to be said, for Dinamo and Vosgler. Dinamo will be facing Fenerbahce out of the three potential opposition. It was certainly the hardest one for them. And Vosgler are going to be facing AIK from Sweden in their second qualifying round in the middle of July. Hand on heart, not the most optimistic for either of them. But if I'm right in thinking, Dinamo are only one win away from the group stage of the Conference League. Not showing (laughs) where I think they're going to end up there. But hey-ho, that's it for today, everyone. Uh, It's been an enjoyable one. I think... Just touching on on the one that you're saying there, Vorskla, obviously, whilst we've been away, Viktor Skripnik has been announced as their new manager. Yuri Maximov has left 
and Zorio without a manager. So it's all crazy up in the air. Um, hopefully we'll have some more news on all the UPL madness um, as as we get it over the next over the next few weeks. And until next time, take care, stay safe, and goodbye for now. Bye bye. Thank you.